Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. Well, the Los Angeles Lakers are back in the news, but that's not necessarily a bad thing this time. We'll take a look at that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 56 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment if anything you can call in or text in to the show 24 7 at 929 bridge 7 that's 929-274-3437 contact the show with your questions comments stories or hot takes and you'll be featured in the next installment of the bridge all right let's get into the fun stuff give me the siren Major League Baseball is doing everything it can to try and woo young fans to the game and limit the amount of time it takes to play said game. New rules will be implemented in 2017 and more are expected to come in the future. One of those rule changes involved throwing four baseballs just a little bit outside of where they would normally have been thrown. The question is, will that really change the baseball world? It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Baseball was once viewed as America's pastime, but it is now viewed as a waste of time for those with little to no interest in the game. Attendance numbers are still decently high, television dollars are off the charts, and the players themselves are making more money than ever before. But while those trends continue to rise, the interest in the game is trending in the wrong direction. In a world of six-second highlights and dwindling attention spans, watching a Major League Baseball game is almost like a second job for the non-diehards. 
538 reported in July that the average MLB game was three hours long, just two minutes off the all-time high mark set just two seasons ago. In comparison, the average NBA game is around 2 hours and 15 minutes, and even though NFL games run more than 3 hours for a sport where the ball is actually in play for just about 11 minutes, the Red Zone Channel and Fantasy Football are able to keep things at ease. Thankfully, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred is all about finding ways to shorten baseball games and not take away the staples of what makes the game so great. At his State of the MLB press conference in Arizona on Tuesday, Manfred talked about implementing a pitch clock, limiting mound visits, and changing the strike zone. And if the Major League Baseball Players Association and Tony Clark didn't have a poop in their pants, those rules could have been implemented for this season. One of the rule changes that did make the cut was regarding the intentional walk, a time when a pitcher is tasked with throwing a baseball just a little bit farther away than where he's used to throwing it, while having the opposing batter in the box watch to make sure he does a good job. The act itself is no longer than your average television commercial, with intentional walks adding an average of just 35 seconds to games in 2016. And as the Wall Street Journal noted last week, the change itself would only save an average of 14 seconds per game. Managers will now signal their intent to place the batter on first, but said batter still will take time to take off his batting accessories and lumber down the line. And what will the signal from the managers be to the pitcher, catcher, or umpire? Will they wave a white flag? Signal with the Reggie Miller choke? Perform a moonwalk across the dugout? Or perhaps play the dance routine of Michigan J. Frog on the Jumbotron. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Send me a kiss by wire. Baby, my heart's on fire. If you refuse me, honey, you lose me. Then you'll be left alone. Oh, baby, telephone and tell me I'm your own. And if a batter is unable to get to the base before the singing stops, he's out, much like a game of musical chairs. Perhaps an old-fashioned bird flip would get the point across that the batter won't get the chance to hit. But what stands to reason is if this rule change is worth all the trouble. Baseball purists will argue that the wacky and unpredictability of executing an intentional walk is one of the things that makes baseball great. No more potential for a Miguel Cabrera single or a Gary Sanchez sack fly after taking advantage of mistakes. No more base runners advancing or run scoring after a poorly executed pitch out attempt. Hell, the Texas A&M baseball team completed a comeback victory over Stephen F. Austin by scoring the game-winning run in the 12th inning on a wild pitch from an intentional walk, which also happened on the same day that the rule change was proposed. There were fewer intentional walks last year than there have been in any season since the strike in 1981. Bryce Harper led the major leagues with 20 intentional walks, 
but compare that to 2004 when Barry Bonds was intentionally walked 120 times, it's child's play. Though killing the intentional walk won't make the baseball hater suddenly howl at the moon and decide to watch the sport, there's certainly enough motivational posters hanging up around offices everywhere that note the importance of time. Changing the game of baseball now, rather than later, will certainly prove a timely decision in the future. I'm John Lund, for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to practice our pitch outs. When we come back, we'll chat about the recent happenings of the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text into The Bridge. This week, we want to know, is Magic Johnson the answer that will save the Lakers? We'll talk about that shortly, but just a brief housekeeping item for you. Get a little excited for the next month or so of shows on the bridge, because if things do go to plan, our guest list will include a couple of voices from Sirius XM to talk about sports radio and the NBA respectively. So keep an eye out for that on my Twitter at London Bridge for any early news or anything exciting. As I said, I never get my hopes up for things like that, but you never know what you'll hear on the next installment of of the bridge. Now to the Los Angeles Lakers. As some of you know, I do register as a Los Angeles Lakers fan. And when the front office was shaken up on Monday and Tuesday, it was perfect timing for discussion on this show, though it was quite difficult trying to find someone with Lakers ties that had some free time to talk about it. Based on the people that said they would love to come onto the show at a later date because they were so busy, either Tuesday or Wednesday, we could spend probably a month and a half worth of shows just focusing solely on the Lakers, but I won't do that to you loyal, loyal listeners. I know you all love some form of sports diversity based on the timeliness of what's happening in the sports world. So in some timely fashion, thankfully we were able to get in touch with Gary Kester. He is the co-founder of LakersOutsiders.com and is also a contributor for the SB Nation Lakers blog, Silver Screen and Roll. He's engrossed in the Lakers with articles and podcasts and social media discussions on a daily basis, so he was able to help us figure out what just happened and where the organization will go from here. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Gary Kester. That's G-A-R-Y-K-E-S-T-E-R. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Gary Kester. He is the co-founder of LakersOutsiders.com, and he is also a contributor for the SB Nation Lakers blog, Silver Screen and Roll. Gary, thanks for joining the show. How are you? Doing great. How are you? 
I am doing fantastic, especially as a Lakers fan. Plenty for us to talk about, especially because every person who has even thought about covering the Lakers has been swamped with the recent goings-on in that franchise. So again, many thanks for jumping on. First and foremost, before we get into all the craziness, I wanted to start by hearing the tale of how you once moved out of the way of current Lakers player Julius Randle. This was two years ago at Las Vegas Summer League, and this was my first uh, Summer League experience, and um, just was there as a fan, and uh, as soon as we walked into Thomas and Mack Center, we just kind of look, and there's this crowd of people walking towards us, and... uh, they were surrounding Julius Randle for whatever reason. He was uh, walking around in the con- uh, the concourse area and walking right at us. And I just uh, <laughs> kind of stepped aside and let the the crowd that was swarming him uh, just go right on by. And for some reason he was going outside, and then he came like right back in because they their game was up in probably about thirty minutes. So uh, very weird experience, especially that was the first thing I really experienced with the the uh, Las Vegas Summer League, but um, yeah, just kind of got out of his way, and and uh, but everybody else seemed to to not really follow that advice. They were trying to get autographs and pictures and all kinds of things. What made you decide that you wanted to cover the Lakers, and how did you get involved with the different outlets that you're currently associated with? I, I mean, I've been my my family has just strong ties to the to the Southern California area and a lot of the LA sports teams and. The Lakers were have always been number one. Um, my my dad just growing up, you know, around my dad and watching the Laker, Laker games growing up and and Kobe and you know just kind of my whole childhood, you know, spent a ton of time watching Laker games. And a couple years ago, there was an opportunity with the site StandingOSports.com, no longer up, but came across the opportunity on Twitter and thought it might be fun to kind of get into blogging and kind of just put my thoughts out there a little bit and kind of just try this thing and um i just i just loved it right from the start and you know started to write about the nba and then some some opportunities with some laker blogs kind of came up and just made a lot of different connections and um you know met uh just another group of people another group of laker fans that wanted to do the same thing and we started lakersoutsiders.com and and that's created even more opportunities. So it's been uh, it's pretty a pretty wild ride here the last few years, and uh, met a lot of great people because of it. We know the Lakers haven't made the playoffs since 2013, and each of the last seasons they haven't won more than 27 games. So unfortunately, on the winning front, it's not as exciting to write about. Negative highlights we know in the past decade or so include the death of Dr. Jerry Buss, of course, Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, Byron Scott, the failed Chris Paul no trade, the failed Steve Nash trade, the Dwight Howard season, the Kobe Bryant goodbye contract. Is there a singular moment in that time period that sort of stands out to you as the turning point for these struggles to have started happening or is the answer just simply all of the above for that? Um, I, I always kind of look at that 2012, 2013 season where they went all in, they traded a lot of picks and a lot of their assets to get Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. And I mean, that, that season, it looks so promising and a lot of people kind of predicted that they would be 
one of they'd be the team representing the Western Conference in the NBA Finals that year. And you know, second game in, Steve Nash fractures his leg, and from from that point on, it was just kind of uh, a snowball effect. It just seemed like the team was just plagued by injuries all year. Uh, they fired Mike Brown very early into the season, and instead of Phil Jackson, they you know they they hired Mike D'Antoni, and it was just a uh, it was a very frustrating season considering the, the expectations going in, and and then of course it led to Kobe's Achilles injury, and I think that that alone was kind of the nail in the coffin that we knew the Lakers were going to struggle for a little while. Obviously, losing Dwight Howard meant that they even though it was probably better in the end for the franchise and for Dwight Howard to go their separate ways, just kind of going all in on that season and having it backfire. We kind of knew the Lakers were going to be in trouble for a little while, but luckily they've been bad enough to where they, even with the protections on these first round picks, then they've been able to keep the picks and, and draft some, some players that look pretty promising. That's true. It's yet another year of hoping that they end up getting lucky with ping pong balls. So we'll see if that ends up happening yeah. at the end as well. So Jeannie Buss, the president of the Lakers, fired her brother Jim, who had been with the Lakers for 19 years. Mitch Kupchak, the team, for 36 years as a player and in management and was part of eight titles. And John Black, as we know, who was with the team for about 27 and that press release that they released for those three people maybe wasn't the best because there wasn't really much description for what they've done for the franchise throughout their time there. Aside from all of that and aside from the press release, when all of this happened yesterday, what was your reaction when everything went down like it did? You know, I wasn't shocked about the move. I was more shocked just about the the timing of it. You know, two days before the NBA trade deadline and um, I, I figured that this was a move that was going to come at the end of the season, but it sounds like the not being able to swing the deal for DeMarcus Cousins was kind of the nail in the coffin for them. But no, it was I was I was honestly just stunned. Uh, like I said, the timing of it was just so was just so weird. I mean, to be completely honest, you know, having such little time because you don't, especially when you have a trade piece, you know, on the block like Lou Williams, who was. Get, uh, g- gathering a, quite a bit of interest from from some of the playoff teams, trying to add a bench score, add some depth, um, you know, as they prepare for a playoff run. Um, and you know, two days before the trade deadline, the Lakers didn't have a general manager, so <laughs> it was uh, the timing was very very odd. Um, but uh, they they obviously had somebody in mind because they they hired Rob Palinka just a few hours later. So um, the timing of it was shocking. The move itself. You know, it's something the fans have been calling for 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 quite a while, more so with Jim Buss than than Mitch Kupchak. But um, the John Black firing was also very shocking. Um, he's very, very, very well respected throughout the league, and uh, yeah, the whole the whole thing just it, it, I think it caught everybody by surprise, more so because of the timing of it. Jeannie had mentioned during one of her interviews that she sort of regrets waiting as long as she did and apologized to the fans for that. Do you think she might have waited too long to shake things up a bit? I know she had mentioned in the past there was this three-year plan in place and that was sort of going to be the gauge onto when she was going to make some decisions. Do you think she might have waited too long in making these moves as well? Um, I, I, I don't, I know a lot of fans do, um, but this was kind of the, the timeline that, 
that Jim Buss had set out for himself. And, you know, he thought in three years he could, he could turn things around and get this team on the right track, which they're, they're definitely trending up from what they were last year. I mean, a 17 win team, um, they've already surpassed that win total, but I mean, if, if anything, I honestly think the timing is, is right because they did it right before the deadline and to do this move, they had to have somebody in mind right away that could take over uh, because they had to trade Lou Williams. They had to get get something of value for him while his stock was going to be this high. I don't think it was ever going to be this high again because of his his age and just the situation and everything. He's been playing such fantastic basketball for them this season. Um, so I think the timing honestly was okay, even though it was so surprising. In a way, it was it was good of her to give you know her brother that time that he had asked for. But yeah, it was, I mean, you could kind of, the writing was on the wall, I think, uh, last summer after, after free agency and everything, that this wasn't going to be a team that was going to contend out West. So, but I think they, they wanted to give it a shot with a new head coach and just kind of see if they could surprise teams. But, um, no, I think the timing was, was okay. I didn't, you know, she could have done it sooner and pleased a lot of fans, but this kind of worked out just, just fine for them. And we know the dynamic has been interesting in the managerial realm with the Bus family because Jeannie and Jim aren't that storybook relationship type of brother and sister. And while she was the president of the Lakers on the business side of things, you had Jim and Mitch sort of running the basketball operation side of things, doing the hirings and firings, but there wasn't much communication between them. Like when the boys fired Byron Scott and she had no idea about it. How important do you think it will be for the future of this team now that Jeannie Buss has a Magic Johnson who will work together and everyone will seemingly be on the same page? Oh, it's it's going to be very important because we talked about this last night on our podcast on LakersOutdoors.com. The, the young guys on this team have already kind of gone through so much, uh, so much change and so much uh, turnover you know, since they, since they got in the league, like D'Angelo Russell, for example, um, you know, he had Byron Scott as his coach his, his rookie year. And that was a very rocky relationship to say the very least. Um, and, and, you know, he has a new head coach and now he's got a new general manager and a, and a new president. And so a lot of those young guys have gone through that same thing. So it'll be great for, for these young guys to finally have some stability in the front office, a long-term solution to head coach, and just within the, the organization to have that structure because it's it's been a front office that has seemed very divided because, you know, Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak were very, they kind of did everything behind the scenes, very closed door. Um, they didn't really leak anything to the media. And I know certain media personalities didn't like that about them. They just would not leak any kind of information and, I don't have an issue with that necessarily, but yeah, like you said, they didn't really communicate with Jeannie Buss when they fired Byron Scott, even though it was, in my opinion, the right move to do. Uh, yeah, you just kind of, you can't have that as being a successful organization. You just have to have everybody on the same page. And uh, I think definitely with Magic and, and Rob Polinka there, um, but more so Magic and just kind of his, his communication with Jeannie, I think everything's going to just going to click a lot better in, in that respect you know, how they, how they evaluate talent and make deals and stuff like that is, is going to be the big test. But in terms of stability in the front office, this is definitely a step in the right direction. 
You mentioned Rob Palenka, the longtime agent of one Kobe Bryant, who had agreed in principle to at least become the new Lakers GM. And from what I've been hearing, he's a highly respected guy around the league and can now provide that different outlook to the organization from the agent side of things. What do you think of bringing him aboard? And do you think his ties to Kobe might mean maybe we'll be seeing the Black Mamba roaming around a little bit down the road? I, I actually I really liked the hire because when when they were let go, he was not a guy that I thought of at all. And I think most people kind of shared that sentiment that they just didn't you know think of a you know uh, one of the agents as as a guy that would take over as a general manager. But he's got you know a background, obviously a, a lengthy background in this in this business, and has kind of operated from the other side of things, you know, representing the players and and so on and so forth. But yeah, he's very highly respected. Everything from everything that I've heard and read about him, very very bright individual that's gonna gonna hit the ground running. Um, so I was I was pleased that the team kind of thought a little bit outside the box and they didn't go and you know hire like a former player from the Showtime era, something like that, um, like they just kind of had seemed to do here lately, especially with the Byron Scott hiring. That whole that whole thing was just kind of handled poorly. Yeah, it, it'll be nice to have kind of some some new blood, so to speak, and and having and I think the thing that I thought about so much yesterday was this is going to be a complete opposite turnout. I think with free agency, I don't know if they'll they'll be able to land any of the marquee free agents, but with Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss, they were just they were such dull personality wise, they're just such dull personalities, and with Magic, you certainly don't have that. Um, and with Polinka, he has a lot of connections with players and executives around the league, and he's very well respected. So, I think this helps their chances in free agency, uh, just based on that alone. Because um, I know with with Cupjack and Bust, they just they weren't really appealing, you know, from a personality standpoint. So that makes it tough to kind of sell your message too when you're having to be salesmen for these free agents. And uh, so having, you know those two different types of personalities that are going to connect much better with the players. Uh, hopefully it'll, it'll help the Lakers uh, be a little more attractive. It didn't take long for them to rock the boat in the trade market or with free agency as magic's first swing of the sword. He traded the highest scoring six man, in the NBA and Lou Williams to the Houston Rockets for Corey Brewer who has a 51-point game under his belt, lest we forget. But more importantly, <laughs> they land a first-round pick, and I'm not sure where that will end up falling, but it's at least important to have that, perhaps something they could even move in the future. What were your thoughts on that move and how they were able to at least get a pick for Mr. Lou Williams? You know, it was about the move I kind of expected them to get for Lou Williams. Teams aren't generally here at least lately, they're not too anxious to really throw out first-round picks, especially in this draft because this is a draft that looks very deep and very promising. But to be able to get an unprotected first-round pick, because I think there there were a number of teams that showed interest, but from the sounds of it, there there were going to be protections on the pick if it was this year or they were trying to do uh, future first-round picks, um, things like that. So uh, to get an unprotected first-round pick is, is big, and Corey Brewer's on – basically the same type of contract as Lou Williams with one season left after this year. And he makes uh, about the same money. So their cap situation isn't really impacted much uh, with Brewers contract, though they're getting obviously a worse uh, player production wise, 
But the the, the issue with the, the Lakers, kind of their current roster with guys like Nick Young, Jordan Clarkson, and then with Lou Williams, they had three guys that kind of did some of the same things. And sometimes that was problematic, and uh, you'd see them kind of go through some, some dry spells or just kind of have those moments where, where things kind of fell apart a little bit. And now with Brewer, Brewer, you know, even though he's not – probably the defender he used to be. He's already one of the best defenders on this on this Laker team that really struggles on that end because of how young they are. Um, so he offers just a, a skill set, I think, that, that fits a little bit better for that reason alone. And he's, he's a good player in transition, even though he's not a great three-point shooter, which is something they need. Um, but having a player that can that can play well in transition and, and defends at least above average is is you know an improvement for them. Um, but yeah, this this deal was all about the pick and having because you know now if they keep their pick if it stays in the top three they'll have two first rounders and a pretty good draft class and you know that gives them some options whether they want to keep building the young core or if they you know want to flip those those picks and and either try and make a trade for an established talent, or maybe they want to shed, you know, the one of the contracts of Timothy Mozgov and Luol Deng. Maybe they can try and do something like that. Uh, so it gives them options, and that's the key thing. And I think another thing with trading Lou Williams is it opens up a lot of minutes for their young guys like Jordan Clarkson and, and especially D'Angelo Russell because Russell hasn't played, I think, as much as fans have wanted this year because uh, Lou Williams has just played so well that he's he's been kind of the guy finishing games so um this this creates a lot more minutes for their young guys and you know if they're going to win games now for the rest of the year it's going to be uh from their youth and that's kind of what the focus should be on you mentioned free agency and the pitch to the big name free agents for the past several years has pretty much just been you know welcome to LA hope you enjoy your stay it's great to play basketball here and not so much the X's and O things and I know you guys said on your show last night that it's probably a hard-pressed idea for us to think that if a free agent was going to sit down with Jim and Mitch that they were going to woo them just based on their personality alone and trying to be excited about playing in Los Angeles with the droning tones that they might have from across the table. Looking ahead now, it's been a pleasant surprise for the players in general to this point that the Lakers have seemed okay rebuilding and have thus far held on to the guys that we've mentioned throughout this show that they've drafted in the first round, the younger players on the team now they might have that opportunity to woo a big-name free agent or maybe even a second-tier free agent just from what they're starting to build as far as their players are concerned, their head coach, and now their personnel. How do you think they might attack free agency in the trade market? Not, I guess, until this Thursday, which they might make a couple more moves, but beyond as well in the next couple of years to try and really get things going in the right direction. Well, I think this summer, I mean, the – with magic magic's always kind of thinking you know the 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 splashy move i think um but i think he wants to do it you know he wants to be smart about it so the thing with this summer is i think they'll they'll go after some of the top guys like a gordon hayward who's going to be on the on the market and obviously he's going to have a pretty long list of teams going after him the issue with the lakers in years past is they've spent so much time just waiting on these marquee free agents um, and in doing so they missed out 
on a number of those, those second or third tier guys that ended up being very good players. Uh, Kyle Lowry a couple years ago and Isaiah Thomas were both reportedly interested and wanted to wanted to play for the Lakers. And I know Isaiah Thomas grew up a big Laker fan, and I think he basically had said if they would have thrown him a contract, he would have signed with them. And, you know, that's that turned out to be one guy that, you know, you really regret not going after because he's having such a fantastic season uh, in Boston. So I think they'll go after the big names in free agency, especially still this summer. Um, but they'll kind of be able to gauge it a little bit better knowing uh, that they've got to spend more time on the, on the lower, the lower tiered guys. I think you can, you're not going to have a quick fix with this team. They're so young that they still probably need two years uh, possibly before they're even thinking about the playoffs. And, you know, I think I'm hoping that the, that the new front office kind of, kind of realizes that and, and, you know, understands that, Hey, maybe we can go get, you know, a second tier free agent and that'll, you know, help elevate us to say above 500 next year or something like that, where they kind of keep expectations realistic and, and, you know, try not to rush this thing. But uh, I think that's where it'll differ where you won't see, you know, the Lakers basically waiting for a Carmelo Anthony while other free agents fly off the board. They'll kind of have a better understanding of where they sit with those free agents and, they might just decide quicker than than Cupcheck and Busted to to move on to the to the next group, um, and then kind of reassess in in 2018 in terms of stars. Where I think 2018 is a better bet for them if they still have the cap space because their their youth will just be a little more developed. Luke Walton will have some more experience, and they'll be on kind of a better timeline. I think to to land a free agent in 2018. So a new head coach in Luke Walton, now a new president of basketball ops and GM and a slew of young talent from covering this team and following this team. Are you starting to get the feeling or maybe a little bit of a sense that Lakers fans can start maybe getting excited about this team a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's important for them to to remain patient because, like I said, this team is so young and I think the their two best prospects are D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram and Russell is still 20 years old and Ingram doesn't turn 20 until September. So you're talking about guys that are still very, very young, you know, playing in a grown man's league and adjusting to just everything that, that comes with playing in the NBA. And, um, you know, even Julius Randle is only 22 years old. Um, so the, the, the whole group um, is just so young that, you know, it's, it's tough to expect them to win games, at least maybe for, like I said, about two more years, I think uh, we'll be able to kind of really see what what the Lakers have in this young core. But um, they've definitely shown signs. And I know Ingram has really struggled this year, which he's kind of a fascinating case to me because he was such a highly touted prospect because of his ability to score and all the physical traits that he has. And this year, that's been kind of the one area that he just hasn't really figured it out yet. It's just putting the ball in the basket. And he's done a lot of other things really well, like create for others, his passing, his vision, uh, his defense. Everything else has kind of seemed to 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 show positive signs, but he's just not shooting the ball well. So with his kind of reputation as a scorer, you would think he's he'll figure it out at some point. But he's very, very young, and, and fans just have to be patient. And that's kind of the message. Uh, with this whole team. I think a lot of the young guys have shown signs and that's all you can ask for at such a young age. 
Um, and it's just going to take time for them to kind of develop that consistency, especially, you know, being that this is their first year under Luke Walden and, and his uh, offensive system. From what you've seen with Luke, do you think he's willing to take up this challenge for the next three, four or five years or however long it will take? And that management as well will also be willing to stick with him to sort of see this thing through for the next couple of years? I think so. I think so. I think Luke is, is pretty excited. I know he's worked extremely hard ever since since he was hired. Um, ever since uh, the, the Warriors finished up their, their final series last year, he uh, came down to Los Angeles right away and got right to work. And they, you know, it was reported that he was just spending countless hours just preparing for the season uh, over the summer. And no, he, he's definitely fully invested in this team. And I think he's definitely gotten... I think gotten through to the players much better than Byron Scott did. There seemed to be some strained relationships there. Um, but with Walton, he's, he's just, he's very charismatic. I think he, he relates to these players because he's so, he's also so young as a coach. He's only, I believe still 36 years old. So um, I think he's, he's definitely the long-term solution. The Lakers have been uh, looking for really ever since Phil Jackson, they've just kind of gotten these, these coaches that, you know, haven't lasted very long. So, I think hopefully he's he's kind of the guy that's going to be there for for a while because all the signs are 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 there and I think Magic has spoken highly of of Luke Walton here lately um, even when he was just kind of you know hired as an advisor a couple of weeks ago he's he's raved about Luke Walton and and including him in this process and always wanting to communicate with him and and get Walton the type of players that he wants so um, I definitely think this is going to be a good relationship you know, with, with everybody involved moving forward. And it, it sounds like the Lakers are definitely in it for the long haul. Do you think Phil is going to try to get back with Jeannie so he can get out of New York and come back to LA now that things are starting to look up a little bit? <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to get out of New York. I don't know if the Lakers will have a spot for him, but, but yeah, he's, he's definitely got some, some issues going on on the, on the other side of the country there. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with with him and him and genie or or whatever but yeah that's uh he's definitely in a tough situation now so i could i mean see him trying to trying to get out of that here in the next couple of years but uh who knows anything can happen in the nba well we could spend a whole nother show on the saga that is the new york knicks <laughs> and mr phil jackson so this team will come out of the all-star break at 19 and 39 one game out of being the worst team in the western conference and as we mentioned, it's sort of a weird spot to be in because you want to see this team grow and continue to do well. But at the same time, you might also want to try to keep that draft pick that you might have. So what do you hope to see for the rest of the season as far as the performance of this team on the court and their growth as well, just starting to get a little bit better than they might have been before? Yeah, you just want to see the young players get a lot of minutes, a lot of opportunities. And now with Lou Williams gone, I think that that opens the door to that. Personally, I don't, I'm not like overly invested in losing games to keep the pick because the best odds that they would have, if you know, if they finish with the second worst record, which right now they're very close to it, uh, would be, I think 56% somewhere in somewhere in that range. So, you know, you're talking about basically a weighted coin flip uh, at best to keep that, that first round pick. So um, I think for the Lakers, the important thing is just, give their young players a lot of minutes and hope that they start to develop consistency because we saw them 
start the year so fast and it was so surprising that when they started seven and five and, and, and 10 and 10, um, through a pretty tough schedule to start the year and then just kind of fall apart once D'Angelo Russell got hurt and, uh, the month of December, they only won one game. So it's been very up and down for them. So hoping that they can kind of start to develop some consistency where they're competing night in and night out. And they just, they kind of minimize those nights where they, you know, they get just blown out right from the get go. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it's going to be all about. I don't know if wins and losses are necessarily important at this point because the Lakers aren't going to be a playoff team or anything like that. So just getting, you know, more consistency out of their young players and just kind of, you know, keep building them up uh, throughout the rest of the season and try and carry some momentum going into the off season. Where will we be able to see your writing, your podcast? Could you let the listeners know some of the things you're up to and where they might be able to hear your voice, see your writing for the rest of the season moving forward? Yeah, most of my writing you will find at silverscreenandroll.com as part of SB Nation. The podcast will be on LakersOutsiders.com, and I've got an awesome team of writers there. I couldn't ask for a better staff than than I have at LakersOutsiders.com. I know they yesterday was a long day, but they were they were on top of everything. So um, either either of those sites, uh, I tweet a lot from the the Lakers Outsiders account and, and my own personal account. But yeah, a lot of my work you can find on written work, Silver Screen and Roll, and then the podcast um, on LakersOutsiders.com. Awesome. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining the show. I know it's been a hectic couple of days for anyone associated with the Los Angeles Lakers. So it was nice to get a couple minutes just to sort of put all of this into perspective and try to explain it the best we can. Continued success to you guys with all the different projects you're up to and the great coverage that you provide for us. And hopefully within the next couple of years as we move forward, it'll be a little bit more fun to write about. But thanks again for the time. Hopefully we can catch up again and see what else is in store maybe in the offseason as well. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. When we come back, we'll discuss the Oscars and close the show with America's fastest growing sports segment. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. The Academy Awards and or the Oscars is this Sunday night for you Eastern Time folks. And what better way to run down some of the films and actors and actresses you'll be hearing about on that night than with another edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Cicilloni. Don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these films. You'll just have a better idea of what would be in store should you do so. This week, Kyle will take a look at some of the films and the actors and the directors that have been nominated and might win some of the major awards. This time, however, we'll be doing things a little bit differently. Instead of Kyle doing all the work, he asked a friend for help. And let's just say those of you who may be wondering what it's like to hold a conversation in northeastern Pennsylvania, you should have a pretty good idea of that once you hear this segment. You can find Kyle on Twitter and on Periscope. He's at Kyle Ciciloni. That's K-Y-L-E. C-I-C-I-L-I-O-N-I. And you can find some of his work over on ajaznetworks.com. Without further ado, here's the special Academy Award edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Ciciloni. 
Thanks, John, and welcome everyone again to 5 Minutes in the Film Room with me, your host, Kyle Ciciloni. Today's episode, we're going to be mentioning a little bit about the Oscars, the 2017 Oscars, 2016 Oscars, is that what works? It's the movies of 2016, but it's the 2007, I don't know. Anyway, with me here today, going to explain all of the nominees and who's going to win some of the major awards with me, our resident NEPA expert, Pat Kapnaski. Oh, hey, thanks there, Kyle. So I was up to Einen there the other day, reading my newspapers with my buddy Joey Paps, and we're talking about uh, the new movies coming out and everything, and we're just reading about the Oscars. So every year we get these Oscars. Last year, the whole big hullabaloo was all the all the African-Americans weren't anywhere to be found on any of the Oscars. So this year they had to bring in a, the, was a whole bunch of uh, African-Americans up for the roles, which is fine as long as you deserve it, then, you know, more power to you. But I'm going to go through a couple of these and give you the Pat Kapnaski picks for the 2017 Oscars. So for Best Actor, we got Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know what that is. It must be some sort of power tool or something. Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Morganson for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for... John, uh, sorry, Fences. So all these guys here, I don't know who this Garfield guy is. Is like a cat? I don't know, it's silly. And they got Viggo Mortensen there for Captain Fantastic. That movie was anything but fantastic. It's him with a bunch of rugrats running around the woods naked. I don't get it. And we've got Casey Affleck from Manchester by the Sea. That's probably the guy who's going to win. So that's your Pat Kapnaski pick for Best Actor, because... Denzel Washington hasn't been relevant for a while, so he's probably not going to win. For Best Actress, we got Isabel Huppert for Ellie. Is it L? I don't know. Ruth Nega for Loving. Natalie Portman for Jackie. Emma Stone for La La Land. Meryl Streep and Florence Foster. Uh, Meryl S- Wait, Meryl Streep for as Meryl Streep? Or who's Florence Foster Jenkins? I mean, you could probably just say she's going to get the award. She gets all of them anyway, but I think this year it's going to go to Natalie Portman. She seems to all be doing well as the Jackie f- character, uh, Jackie Kennedy. So uh, she's like a big deal, I guess. She was. I remember back in Jackie Kennedy, Joel Paps was telling me the story one time. He said he hooked up with Jackie Kennedy, and I said, there's no way that's possible. But he said it happened up at the McDonald's, but I don't know. Supporting actor, we got Maher- Mahershala. Meherlesha Ali? Is that like Muhammad Ali from Moonlight? Is that a boxing movie? I don't know. You got Jeff Bridges there for for Hell or High Water. Jeff Bridges, if if you like, want to watch an old washed up guy running around the desert pulling his pants up and being out of breath, then you're going to love him in Hell or High Water. You got Lucas Hedges there for Manchester by the Sea. That's the, the other kid, the the guy that's not as depressed as the main guy from that movie. Uh, Dev Paddle, Dev Patel for Lion. Is that like an animated movie? Is it by animals? Animal, uh, Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. I have been hearing all the buzz. Joey was telling me that Mahershala Ali is the one to go with. He's my inside man. Mahershala Ali. The guy from Moonlight for supporting actor. Place your bets. And then we got supporting actress. I think Viola Davis in Fences is probably going to be the one to get it. I, I hear she, Joey was telling me saw this movie. I didn't even get to see it. Joey Babs telling me Viola Davis, she's she's crying and slobbering and drooling and 
all sorts of liquids coming out of her face. I guess that's good acting, so she'll probably get it. Who knows? And then you also got these other people. Naomi Harris for Moonlight again. Nicole Kidman in that animated lion movie about animals. Is that what that is? I don't even know. Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures. That's the movie with all the women in the planes or something. I don't know. And then Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. Another person who's just crying and being depressed for the whole movie. But Viola Davis, like I said, is probably going to be the one to take that one. And then we come up to the main one, the best picture and the best director. And I believe that these two are probably going to go to the same man there. Mr. Damien Chazelle for La La Land. There's movies up for 14 Oscars. You want to play your your odds? You want to play the bets? Place your odds? You place your bets on La La Land. If I was placing my bets, if I was a betting man, and I am, because I'm going to go down to Mohegan Sun later and play some of the penny slots, I'd put all my money on La La Land. That seems to be the one where all the money's going, all the all the votes. So probably Damon Chazelle for Best Director and La La Land for Best Picture because they love Hollywood movies, so they'll probably get that one. And that's all your Oscar picks from Pat Kapnowski. Back to you guys there. Sexy. Check! Uh, check, please. We'll close out the show with America's fastest growing sports segment called Good Try, Good Effort. Here we'll briefly mention some of the instances from throughout the week when a team or a player or a coach might have meant well but didn't quite meet those expectations. First up, good try, good effort to defense and the under in the latest NBA All-Star game. The Western Conference All-Stars beat the Eastern Conference All-Stars 192-182 to in New Orleans, setting yet another scoring record as both teams decided to put on a show instead of worrying about basketball fundamentals. Soon, 200 points will be scored, and somehow we'll all still get up the morning after and continue carrying on with our lives after having some enjoyment the night before. Good try, good effort to the dunk contest. Aaron Gordon, who got hosed from winning the dunk contest title last year, tried to get a little fancy with a drone and drop the basketball from it for his first dunk, which he missed several times. However, let it be known that it was not the drone's fault, so if Intel wants to start sponsoring my program, that's perfectly fine as well. Derek Jones Jr., who you probably know more from YouTube than you do from playing in the National Basketball Association, couldn't even convert one of his attempts in the final round, which basically allowed Glenn Robinson III to win by a layup. The unfortunate part for lovers of this year's dunk contest was that there were better dunks performed in this year's actual All-Star game. Good try, good effort to Steph Curry's half-court heaves. After the three-point contest was finished on Saturday night, it was announced that another one-minute contest would be held with each three-pointer made from players and celebrities taken from the crowd. That $10,000 would be donated to the Craig Sager Foundation, which was a pretty awesome moment. 
They ended up raising more than $100,000 from making those three-pointers. And then it was announced by Ernie Johnson that the goal was now $500,000. And Steph Curry, the reigning MVP of the NBA, would test his luck at some half-court shots. And if he were to make one, they would immediately get the five hundred grand. Steph originally said that he would only need three tries and then missed once, twice, three times a lady. And things eventually became a little awkward after he missed five, six, seven times. Thankfully, Shaq helped lift Craig Sager's young son, Ryan, near the baskets for the layup that ended up making the donation possible. And lastly, good try, good effort to the media for having their hopes dashed of a Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook feud. Entering into this year's All-Star Game, all the discussions were centered around what it would be like for Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, who had quite the breakup from the Oklahoma City Thunder in the offseason, as we remember, to both play for the Western Conference All-Stars. Would head coach Steve Kerr put them on the floor at the same time? Will they even look at each other? Will they spit in each other's face? The discussion even continued pregame when Russell Westbrook was shooting on one side of the floor and the other members of the West were shooting on the other side of the court. But once the game started and Russell Westbrook was inserted from the bench, it didn't take long for that old chemistry to come back. And Kevin Durant found Russell Westbrook for an alley-oop layup that was thrown down so emphatically that it shattered newspaper leads throughout the country that were lying in wait to talk about the feud that never came to fruition between Durant and Westbrook, at least not for that game. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can subscribe to The Bridge Sports Podcast on iTunes. Please leave a positive rating and review if you enjoy the show. And by doing so, you'll immediately be notified when new episodes of The Bridge are posted each week. You can also find the Bridge Sports Podcast on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also visit londonbridge.com slash email to subscribe to the Bridge newsletter, which will provide weekly updates and behind-the-scenes information about the next show. In the next installment of the Bridge, we'll talk more NBA, dive into some Major League Baseball, dabble with some college basketball, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.